Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I'm going to ask if you would turn with me to uh, Leviticus chapter 17. And verse 11, Leviticus 17 and verse 11. I want to share with you one of the most important truths. I say important. I think all of the truths in the Bible are important. But this one helped me in my walk with God in a way that um changed my interaction with God. Leviticus 17:11 says for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. I remember the first time that I was in church and they started talking about blood. I was a little bit put out. I thought, that's disgusting. Why are we talking about that in church? And then I also remember how puzzled and almost infuriated I was when I read the story about God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah. I was a little bit infuriated, like that's wrong. Why would you ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? I didn't understand about the covenant. I didn't understand about God's interaction with man. I didn't understand. And so as I do want to say this, I'm glad I didn't leave those services. I'm glad I didn't walk away from the talk about the blood, from the talk about sacrificing blood sacrifices and, and leave it uh, because with the knowledge of what it represents, my walk with God was changed. My approach to God was changed. My confidence, I found a confidence in the presence of God that I didn't have before because the shame of my past, the shame of my mistakes, the shame of the things I had done before I accepted Jesus, even though I knew I was no longer guilty and I would not go to hell for the guilt of what I did, I still lived with the shame of what I did. And I had not been able, even in all of my studying of the Bible and the different things that I had studied up up until that point, I'd not been able to deal with the shame. And so every time I got to prayer... I came in the door sulking. I came in the door with my head down, the door to the throne of God. I came in saying, oh, God, I'm so unworthy. God, I'm just a mess. God, I'm just a poor, pitiful sinner, and you've saved me by your grace. And that meant that I barely got in the door, and I'm not going to hell. But sit in the back and don't let anybody hear you (laughs) because the shame 
still had my perception, my, my self-image and my perception in the, the presence of God as dirty, as something unclean. And I had not yet built my faith in the blood. When you have faith in the blood, you have faith in your standing with God. When you have faith in the blood, you have faith in your relationship with him. You have a confidence that nothing else can give you. Quoting scriptures just outside of this context, you know, just to say, well, uh, greater is he that is in me. If you don't know what the blood of Jesus has done, that scripture is not going to have as great of an impact as it could when you begin to see I'm blood washed, I'm cleansed, there is not even a residue left in my life of the things that I was before I came to Jesus Christ. I am so new. I am so righteous. I am so clean that God is ready to wrap his arms around me. He can't wait for me to get in the door. So he said, come here, girl. Let me give you a hug. I'm so glad to see you. And before that, I had this image of like God's looking down his nose like, and what do you want? But the blood of Jesus is, is the object of our faith. The blood of Jesus, the blood, of course, yes, his, his life poured out, but the life is in the blood. And so we've got to have a, a firm uh, root system of faith in the blood and what the blood has accomplished. So the life of the flesh is in the blood. God created it this way to provide for us in the Old Testament a covering, in the New Testament a cleansing. He said, I have given it to you upon the altar. I've given you the life of the flesh that's in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement. Well, that was the Old Testament. An atonement was a covering. An atonement uh, the blood that, that of the animals that they used for the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they put it upon the altar, and when it was placed on the altar, it became a payment, a sacrifice for their sins. Let's look at Exodus 29 and verse 37. Exodus 29, this is when they were setting up the altar, and... So we know that there, there was, a, in God's plan, an important following of this pattern. In Exodus 29 and verse 37, he's telling them how to make the altar holy. So because they built this altar out of natural things, but it's about to become supernatural. They're about to make this not just something that they put together out of the different materials that they used to build it, but now they've followed the instruction of God. And in this act that we're going to read here in verse 37, now this altar is about to be transformed. It says, seven days you shall make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy Whatever touches the altar shall be holy. Well, what did they have to do to make this altar holy? In the previous verses, they took sacrifices of the animals, and, and on these days, 
they would offer the, the sacrifices and the blood of those animals touched that altar and they only for the purpose of sanctifying the altar. Hallelujah. And he said, I've given you the life of the blood on the altar as an atonement. So this altar was something more than just a natural um, man-made materials that have come together. This altar was something that God designed, God instructed, and after man obeyed his instructions, God made it holy with their, their sacrificing of those animals on it. Hebrews 13.10 tells us that we have an altar. Jesus, he put his blood on our altar. Hebrews 13.10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Talking about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have a New Testament altar that doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare to what was available under the Old Testament altar. We have an altar. Why? Because Jesus, when he went to the cross and he hung on that cross, whatever touches the altar shall be made holy. He made the altar holy. And when we lay our lives on that altar, Galatians 2.10 says, we are crucified together with Christ, yet it is not I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. When I lay my life in, in faith that what Jesus did for me, the death he died was my death. He didn't die the death he deserved. He died the death I deserved because Jesus was innocent. Jesus was was innocent of all sin. He was tempted in every way with every sin, but overcame every temptation. He was sinless. He was spotless. He did not deserve the wages of sin, which is death. He did not deserve death. I deserved death, but he died for me, and I believe it. And when I touch that altar with my faith, whatever touches the altar shall be made holy. I'm made holy by my faith in what Jesus' blood has accomplished for me. Hallelujah. So back up with me from Hebrews 10, and let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, and let's look a little bit at this history of the blood. Hebrews 9, we're going we're gonna to start with uh, our our present day, our present day reality. Hebrews 9, 7, into the second, talking about the holy of holies. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with the way the Old Testament tabernacle was set up, there was an outer court and it, there was a, a, a fencing, if you will, of, of different uh, a, a specialized um, fence that was set up around the temple. And at the entrance, they would come in and the first thing they would encounter would be the brazen altar. And they would bring their sacrifices and that's as far as the people went. The people handed over their sacrifices and the Levitical priest took it from there. The, the, the Levites would, would take and, and work with the, uh, the sacrifices 
and there was also a laver for washing, uh, kind of looked probably uh, about this size. It was covered in mirrors, and, when they, and they would put their water into it, and when they looked into it, they could see their reflection, and they would cleanse themselves with that laver before any entrance into the holy place. In the holy place, there were specific things that they had to work on. For instance, the table of showbread was in there. And, and on a regular basis, each tribe would prepare a loaf of bread. It was called the showbread. It was called the bread of the presence of God. And they would bring that, and the priest would take it in and put it on this table, which would open up, and it was, uh, the, the, it was in the face of God, so to speak. And that's their lives. It's representing their lives lived before God. There was also in there the, the uh, altar of incense, which represents prayers. And they would keep that incense lit. And so there was work that they did in the holy place. But there was another section of the temple called the most holy place. And only the high priest was allowed entrance into that place. And he couldn't just wander in at any time that he desired. He could only go in once a year and he had to go in cleansed. He had to go in with the blood of those sacrifices that had been brought. And so uh, it, it describes that in the Old Testament, it describes that they needed to wrap uh, a, a cord around his leg because if he fell dead because of sin inside, they could, nobody could go in and get him. They had to drag him out. And so it was a, a serious uh, um, representation of the presence of God in the holy place. In the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, this is where God's presence would reside as they, they would come down uh, and travel around with the, the tabernacle. So when we see here, it says, into the second went the high priest alone, or you could say only. Only the high priest went into the holy of holies once every year. And this is the phrase I want you to, to identify, not without blood, he did not enter the presence of God without blood. Why could he not enter? Why is it important that he have blood for the entering in? To be able to access the presence of God, to be able to come in and to make that atonement, he had to be carrying the blood. It says, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people or the sins of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying. So now we're going to find out what it represents. What did that represent? All of those times that the high priest would enter in with the blood of the sacrifices of the people. What was it trying to, to demonstrate? What was it signifying? The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing, the way into the presence of God was not opened. And the blood of the animals brought a temporary entrance, but it was not an entrance for everyone. 
It was not an access that every person, they had to stop at the gate. They brought their offerings to the gate and they could watch at the, the brazen altar, but they never entered in. The people never entered in. And that's not what God wanted. God didn't create us for, for distance learning, for distance worship. He, God didn't create us to be held at arm's length. He loves us. He desires to have fellowship with us, intimate, close, one-on-one fellowship. He desires to be a part of our life, an integral part of our life. He desires to be the center of our life. He desires for our lives to orbit around him the way the planets orbit around the sun. He desires for us to depend on him the way the earth depends on the light from the sun. Amen. He desires to be the the fountain of our strength. He desires to be the wisdom of our life, the stability of our times. He desires to be our provider, our father. He created us as his children, not as his servants. He created us as children. But because of Adam's fall, sin brought a limitation in God's relationship with us and our relationship with God. You know, when I was re-editing and, and, and preparing for the release of the testimony, Escaping Hell, my life story, um, it came when I was teaching. I, I have a whole chapter on the blood because it's one of the fundamentals that has helped me in my walk with God. And I realized from all of the times I've done prison ministry and, and I've seen the limits of what family can visit in the prison. When a person goes to prison, their interaction with their family is cut off. They have no, no freedom, liberty to visit in the same way. It's, it's supervised visits. It's, it's limited visits. It's, it's disconnected visits. And that's what God had with his children. It's like God had to come visit in the visitation room and sit at a distance and be under scrutiny He couldn't have the relationship that he wanted because of the presence of sin. So God created a temporary solution in the blood of the animals only as a holding pattern until the blood of his son could be made available. So let's look at this holding pattern. Can can we see from the beginning, that the blood was entrance. The blood means access. Go with me to Genesis chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I will tell you there's, a, there's an implication of the blood earlier even than this. There's an implication of the shedding of blood when God made made a covering for Adam and Eve with the skin of animals. Blood was shed for that covering to be provided. So there's an implication of the blood even in that 
interaction where God was providing a covering for Adam and Eve with the skins of the animals. There was a blood shedding. And then in Genesis 4, let's read in verse 4. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now, Abel is bringing an animal sacrifice. He's bringing the blood sacrifice. It said in the previous verse, verse 3, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. But in, in this bringing of an offering, Cain's offering was not accepted. Cain's offering, God didn't accept it. There was no access, no entrance by it. Abel brought an offering and God accepted it. He showed respect to it, not because God was showing favorites to Cain and Abel, favoring Abel because he liked him better, but Abel had done what God had instructed. So we know there was some kind of instruction because in the conversation, they're talking to God. God says personally to Cain, why are you mad? And why have you got that look on your face? That's verse 6. Why is your countenance falling? Why are you walking around with that look on your face? Why are you mad? If you do well or if you would do right, if you would do what I said. Now, here's another evidence that God told them. Hebrews says, Abel, sacrifice by faith. By faith, Abel sacrificed. Hebrews 11:4. by faith, he offered the acceptable offering. How can you do anything by faith without the word? Faith comes by. So he heard something that told him what to bring. And God came to Cain and gave him the opportunity to do the right thing. He said, he said, if you would do well, yours would be accepted too. It's not about you personally. It's about what you're bringing. There's no entrance by what you're bringing. Why? Because the fruit of the ground that he worked was not capable of covering his sin to interact with God. In order for him to have this relationship with God, there had to be a covering and only blood could cover the sin. To give, an, to give that, that even limited interaction with God. So we know that as time goes on, there are people added to the earth. People are born and, and they are turning away from God. And God sends the flood. And he uh, cleanses the earth of all the, except for Noah and Noah's family. And what did Noah do? How many, how many animals? What, how many animals went into the ark? They, two by two, two of each kind. And what? And sacrifices. It, it wasn't just two of each kind. He took two of each kind and enough for sacrifices. And the very first thing they did when they came off the ark on this clean earth, this earth that's been cleansed of the unrighteousness, this earth that has been, uh, that the sin has been dealt with, the very first thing that they did was offer a blood sacrifice. 
That's his first recorded action after leaving the ark, was, the ark was to baptize the earth in the blood of the sacrifice. And then God establishes a covenant with a man named Abram. He comes to him in Genesis 12 and he establishes this covenant with him and he's walking with God. Abram is walking with God and God changes his name to Abraham and gives him promises of the covenant. And then we see in Genesis 22, the story that I referred to that used to bother me so much. <laughs> the story of God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. God didn't want Isaac to die. God just wanted Abraham to be willing to offer his son. And, in, and the faith that Abraham brought believed that God would raise him from the dead, which qualified God to sacrifice his son and raise him from the dead. Amen? So the covenant with Abraham gave God legal right to have this interaction, legal right, because Outside of this covenant, God doesn't have any authority to operate on the earth unless he had delegated authority to man and Adam had submitted that authority when he sinned and fell from his position of authority. Satan became the God of this world. The New Testament calls him the God of this world, not capital G. Little g, meaning he is in charge because he, he received what Adam delegated to him. The authority God gave Adam was so completely delegated to Adam that Adam could delegate it or submit it. He, he, when, when Adam fell, everything with him fell, including the authority and the blessing. So mankind covered by the blood, that temporary covering enabled a covenant to be established with God that would take him out of that demonic ownership, of that Satan's authority so that I'm not operating under Satan's authority. I've got covenant with God. And that covenant takes me, takes me to a place where the enemy what he wants to do is not in, in play in my life because I have covenanted with God. I've covered myself with blood. I've covered my life with the blood of the sacrifice. The life is in the blood. Whatever touches the altar is holy. I've been made holy through this covenant with God. I've got this interaction, although it was limited as it was in the Old Testament because of their lack of spiritual life in their spirit. But he understood and walked in the covenant relationship with God enough to understand that I am able to deal with God through this covenant. And when I, what, what is God's is mine and what's mine is God's because we've covenanted together. And so when God asks him for his son, covenant says, Anything I have, if you ask me for it, I will, I will honor our covenant and I will provide. And so he brings his son to the place of the sacrifice and willing to sacrifice him there. 
comes to the point of the sacrifice, the point of obedience, and the angel stops him in verse 12 of chapter 22 of Genesis. Lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld. The word withheld means to to begrudge. You've not done it grudgingly. You've not done it reluctantly. You have willingly given your son. What did God need the right to do? God needed the right to willingly give his son. Not begrudgingly. God didn't say, okay, Jesus, there's no other way. You got to go do this. I really don't want this for you. I really don't want this to have to happen, but okay, it's the only way. Our hands are tied. You've got to go do this. No, God, being a covenant God, he, he had already established this Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, Jesus as a a payment for our sin. And so he is in this covenant legally authorized now to willingly send his son for us. Amen? God provides instead... A ram caught in the thicket. Verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. My center column reference says the Lord will see and the Lord will provide. The Lord will see, and the Lord will provide. God saw before he established time the need to have a redeeming lamb, a lamb capable of redeeming his people. And so God had already provided, and in this covenant, he has legal access to put in play the shedding of Jesus' blood. From this point, 400 years passes before Israel becomes what we know today as a people, the children of Israel, the people of Israel. And they are in bondage in Exodus chapter 12. They're in bondage, and they had began to cry out to God. They'd begin to cry out in their bondage, and God remembered his covenant And he sent Moses uh, and and raised up Moses from a baby, raised him up, prepared him to be the deliverer. And so Moses has gone and he has confronted Pharaoh and said, let God's people go. And he's dealing with this bondage and, uh, and, and commanding the freedom, commanding the liberty. And Pharaoh doesn't want to let them go. Uh, But God... In this preparation, the night before they are leaving, God prepares a Passover lamb. Think about the condition of the people. Think about the condition of these people who have been slaves. They've been mistreated. They've been malnourished. They had been uh, 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 given the, the worst. They, had been, uh, they, they didn't have the best health care. They didn't have the best food supplements. They didn't have the best. And so here are these people 
and that God is about to bring out. And we know from the book of Psalms that he brings them out and there was not one of them feeble. Even though you may watch Hollywood movies that shows them dragging them out, it says there was not one of them feeble in the knees. There was not one of them. They came out well. How did they get well? They, were, they may not have all been well before they came out, but when God brought them out, he brought them out well. He brought them out free, and he brought them out wealthy. Not just well in their physical bodies, but well in their pocketbooks too. He brought them out through the power of the blood. Look at chapter 12 of Exodus. Chapter 12 of Exodus. He begins and establishes this interaction for the people to see the Passover lamb. This is a picture of Jesus. This is a, a, a demonstration. They are acting out what Jesus is going to be. Hallelujah. In the Passover lamb, we see the provision that the Father has made for the family. It says in Exodus chapter 12, verse Three, speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So it was the father's responsibility to go access to obtain a lamb. And when Jesus came walking down the, the path on the side of the river and John the Baptist saw him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. Our Father has provided a Lamb. The, the, the Lamb of God. And he said something that the people of his day could not comprehend. He said, the Lamb of God who taketh away. He takes away the sin of the world. They understood a lamb that could cover sin, but they'd never encountered a lamb that could remove sin, that could take sin away. Hallelujah. Because they had been practicing the Passover. They had been observing the Passover. And when Jesus encountered uh, on that last meal with his disciples, the Passover, he said, take, eat, this is my body. This is my blood. Do this remembering I'm the Passover lamb. I'm the bread from heaven. I am the lamb of God. Hallelujah. In me. Because they had, they had observed Passover. And they observed it to remember that when God brought their forefathers out, he brought them out with restoration. He brought them out with freedom. He said, go ahead and tie up your garments like you're getting on ready for a long walk. Don't, don't act like you're going to be here for a while. Don't anybody be in your comfy pajamas with your foo-foo slippers on. You need to put on your walking boots and you need to gird up your loins because you're getting out of here. Come with an expectation. When you eat it, I want you to eat it all, and I want you to eat it like you're coming out of this place in the morning. I want you to eat it like you're coming out well, like you're coming out restored, like you're coming out with supernatural provision in your life. 
He said, take, eat. That's what I want you to remember about me. When you eat of my broken body, you're eating more than the Passover lamb of your forefathers. You're eating of my broken body. A supernatural restoration is available in the broken body of Jesus, but we have to eat it. He said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, eat my flesh, drink my blood, eat my flesh, drink my blood. You'll have eternal life. Eternal life. Why, there's supernatural power in the blood. Supernatural power in the broken body. And it's ours for the eating. It's ours for the eating. And there's liberty in the broken body. Liberty in the shed blood. There is, there is restoration and supernatural provision. But you have to eat it and you have to drink it. I have to eat it. I have to drink it. I have to come and partake. I have to pull up to the table and say, you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And on this table is everything I need to have victory in my finances, everything I need to have victory in my family, everything I need to overcome this attack against my physical body, everything I need is at my table. I'm just going to stay right here at the table. I'm going to eat from the table. Hallelujah. And not only did they have the lamb to eat, But they had the blood to put upon the doorpost of the house. Verse 13 of this same chapter says, The blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. Yes, we need to cover our home. We need to cover our natural home. But the body you're walking in is also a home. You need the the blood over your life. The blood is a token upon your home. The blood is a signal. The blood is something visible in the spirit realm. You may not see the blood with your natural eyes, but demons know who's blood washed. Demons know who's been interacting with the blood. Angels can see the blood has been applied on that one. Amen? And when you're applying the blood over your family member who may, uh, to all appearances, not be walking with God, you are, you're not wasting time. You're not wasting your breath. You're making something happen for them. You're marking them. Marking them with a territorial mark right here. This, this child of mine is a blood-covered child. They are kept of the Lord. Hallelujah. He says in this same verse, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, God can see the blood. God can see the blood. All of the ministering angels who are sent to minister for the heirs of salvation, they can see the blood. This is why we need to interact with the blood. My blood is working in my body right now. The blood of Jesus is working in his body right now. It's not something we only access one time when we get saved and say, well, the blood washed me clean and I never touch it again. No, get up and touch the blood every day. Get up and apply the blood every day. Get up and interact with that blood every day. Let that blood be an integral part of your life. Put faith in the blood. Sing about the blood. Preach about the blood. Talk about the blood. Read about the blood. Hallelujah. Why? There's life in the blood. Jesus' blood is not dried and coagulated. Jesus' blood is is as alive today as it was the day it came out of his veins. 
And it's not randomly scattered anywhere. It's on the mercy seat of God speaking. His blood is speaking better things than the blood of Abel spoke. The blood of Abel called out from the ground. It could be heard. That innocent blood that that was shed calling out, avenge me, avenge me, avenge me. But the blood of Jesus, our innocent lamb, is calling out from the mercy seat of God. Have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Hallelujah. It's calling out for us. Mercy. Glory to God. The blood is something God can see. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy when I smite the land of Egypt. Hallelujah. They leave in this great exodus out of bondage out of the land of Egypt and 50 days later they reached the mountain of Sinai but the covenant had to be established so in Exodus chapter 24 God gives some instructions to Moses and we see in verse 6 Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar So they have a blood sacrifice to establish with these people who have not been walking with God. They had not remembered God until God remembered his covenant and sent Moses to them. But now God God has rescued them. He's delivered them. He's brought them out. He desires to take them into the land that he has prepared for them, a land that flows with milk and honey. But he says, you need to be my covenant people. And so Moses has prepared this blood sacrifice and he takes half of the blood in the basins, half he puts on the altar. He took the book of the covenant, read it in the audience of the people and said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. Remember, blood means access. Blood means entrance. Blood Through the blood, the, the relationship has has its its entrance when the blood of G, when the blood of this sacrifice was sprinkled on the people the very next thing that god gives as an uh, instruction is prepare me a tabernacle i want to dwell among you why because the blood had a closer effect god could have a closer relationship with them The first time he's got blood sprinkled on the people and now he says, I want to have a a greater part of your life. Exodus 25, 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Hallelujah. Why? Because their life was now covered in the blood. On Moriah... Mount Moriah, we saw life was redeemed by the blood when the blood of the ram that was caught in the thicket. In Egypt, the doorposts were sprinkled. At Sinai, the people were sprinkled. The contact with the blood was closer, and now God is able to have a closer relationship with them. And he gives them specific arrangements and directions for how the tabernacle is to be set up. 
And I described it to you, the entrance where the brazen altar, the very entrance began with the blood. That's where the blood started. But the blood started at the altar, but the blood continued through the holy place into the most holy place. Hallelujah. And the entrance into each part was for the blood and through the blood. And they continued in this relationship with God 1,500 years under this system of the blood of the animals covering them. Before we see in John chapter 1, the, John the Baptist making that declaration, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have in our relationship with Jesus Christ an access that was not available 2,025 years ago. When we mark our time, our years, we say this is the year 2022, 2022 A.D., after the death of Christ. When Jesus, on the cross, poured out his blood, everything in our relationship with God was changed. There are people who lived before that time who didn't have available to them what you and I have available to us through the blood. Hallelujah. Let's go back to Hebrews and... Let's look at chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto or the worshipers perfect. This is King James, so let's break it down a little bit here. The offerings of the animal sacrifices that they did year after year could never make their relationship with God complete. The word perfect is not what we would define in, uh, in the Webster's Dictionary as without flaw. The word perfect in the New Testament means fully developed, come to a place of full completion or development. So their worship could never complete their relationship with God. Why? Because they only had the blood of animals. It never, it never established the relationship that was a developed, complete relationship. Their sacrifice could never have the, 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 the interaction with God that God desired. Verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. In other words, if, it would have, if their sacrifices would have got the job done, they wouldn't have had to do it every year. Amen. The reason they had to do it every year is because it only covered, it didn't cleanse. Amen. 
It didn't take away their sin. It just covered their sin. Temporary. Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. This word is not consciousness or awareness. It is conscience. Conscience, which is a realization of what I've done or what I haven't done. If your conscience is clear, then you're not feeling guilty about anything. But if your conscience feels guilty or if your conscience is aware, yeah, I said that, yeah, I did that, you, that conscience is an indicator. It says that they were supposed to have their conscience purged so that they weren't conscience or so that they weren't guilty of their sins. But the blood that they had available couldn't do it. It could not cleanse or purge their conscience. Now, both of these things, it could not make their relationship with God perfect, and it could not cleanse their conscience. Hold your place here, because I'm not done with 10, but I want you to go back to 9, chapter 9, and I want you to see what the blood of Jesus has done. We're going to read 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, they got sprinkled with the blood, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ sprinkling, cleansing us, purifying us, how much more should the blood of Jesus Christ I want you to take, stop, pull that phrase that's in there by the commas. Pull that out for just a minute so that we can finish our thought. How much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience? How much more shall the blood of Christ, if the blood under the Old Testament could, could give them that temporary confidence in the presence of God because I've been, I, I, I sacrificed. I gave my lamb, my Passover lamb. I, I, I took my lamb and I watched it as they sacrificed it on the, I watched the blood pour out of my lamb on that brazen altar and I know I can approach God today because the year's not up. <laughs> I can still come to God. But then it says, how much more shall the blood of Christ Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Do you see? We need to interact with the blood. We need the blood. If there is anything in your conscience, don't let it stay there. Repent, get forgiveness of it, and then purge your conscience. Cleanse your conscience. If you try to live your Christian life under the weight of the mistakes that you've made, under the shame of the things that you've done wrong, whether it was from before Christ or errors or sins that you've done since you've been walking with God, that's why we have a faithful high priest. We can go to him. We can repent of our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to reestablish us. This blood has to have an interaction with our lives to purge us 
from any of those things in our conscience that try to tell us God's not listening to you. You can't go ask him for that because of look how you acted two weeks ago. Look the mistake you made last year. You can't go to God. Who said I can't go to God? The blood of Jesus Christ has purged my conscience. The apostle Paul, the apostle Paul was holding the coats of the people who stoned Stephen. He went from city to city with orders from the high priest of that day to take people and throw them in prison to to accuse them because they were following Jesus. But when he stood there on that day, that he was bitten by that venomous snake after having survived the shipwreck. He's standing there. The snake reaches out of the fire, bites him in, in front of everybody. The people from that island said, you must be a murderer that you've escaped the shipwreck only to get bitten by the snake. The judgment of God's coming on you because you're a murderer. You must be a murderer. Was he guilty of holding the coats of Stephen? Is that an accessory to murder? Was he guilty of throwing innocent people? The only thing they had done wrong was believe in Jesus, meeting and congregating in Jesus' name. He had them thrown in prison. He brought accusations against them. Some of them may have been put to death. They may have ended up in in the the ring with the lions and, and been eaten by the lions. And here they're standing there calling Paul a murderer. You must be a murderer. That you have escaped the shipwreck and a night and a day in the deep. And now you're going to die by that venom. But he shook it off. Why? Because he made the statement, I have wronged no man. How could Paul... (laughs) Be so confident to say that after we've got evidence of what he was involved in before. Because his conscience had been purged so that he could serve God. The enemy has no open door to accuse him, to attack him, to make him think this is happening because of the mistakes that you made. You can't go to God because of the errors of your ways. You can't go to God because you did this and you did that and you were caught with this. Nope. Clean, I've been purged. My conscience, I'm so clean that I don't even have it as a perception in my memory. I don't see myself like that at all. I have wronged no man. Why? That's the power of the blood. That's the cleansing power of the blood. It didn't just deal with with our sin, but it dealt with all the effects that our sin tries to have those long-term effects in our life. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience to serve the living God? Hallelujah. Both of those things from Hebrews 10, the blood of the animals could not make their relationship with God perfect, but Jesus' blood did. The uh, conscience is purged 
through the blood of Jesus. And then in verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Chapter 9 and verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. It did take away our sin. Not just a covering, it's cleansed us and it removed the sin from our life so that we are no longer sinners. We were sinners, but because of the blood, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He that knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Through the blood, we have the access to God. I want to close right here with, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at verse 5. Wherefore, when he comes into the world, he says, I think it's so amazing that we have the words of Jesus Christ when he entered into the world, before he entered into the womb of Mary. He had a conversation with God. And he says this to the Father. Sacrifice and offering you wouldest not. You did not desire sacrifice and offering. But a body you have prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've had no pleasure. No pleasure. God wasn't pleased with that. It was his mercy to cover the sins, but it wasn't what he wanted. It wasn't his desire. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Above, when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, you would not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. What was the will that he came to do? I come to do your will, O God. Isaiah said it so matter-of-factly. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He said, you're not getting pleasure through the offerings of these animals, but it pleased the Lord to bruise him. One translation says, it pleased the Lord to make him sick with our sicknesses. It pleased the Lord to make him sin with our sin. Why did it please the Lord to make Jesus sick and sin? Because Jesus did that in our place. And when he made him sick, he made you well. When he made him sin, he made you righteous. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus has opened heaven for us. 
What has the power of the blood done for us? The blood opened the grave. Look at Hebrews 13. The blood opened the grave. The God of peace, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, he brought him again from the dead through the blood. He brought him again from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of Jesus brought resurrection power. Through the blood of the covenant, he, God raised Jesus from the dead. And that same blood has raised you out of spiritual death into the newness of life. Hallelujah. And Hebrews 9, this is my third and final close. <laughs> so you can go get some strawberry pie. <laughs> Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves. That's not the verse I want. Back up earlier. Glory to God. I want 1019. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Did we read earlier that the Holy Ghost signified that the holiest wasn't open? That's why he had to come with, with blood, not without blood. Why? Because the Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest was not yet manifest. But here we see in verse 19 of chapter 10, we have boldness to enter by the blood. Blood is entrance. Blood is access. The blood of Jesus is entrance that, that you can't get entrance without it. You can't go into the presence of God without the blood, without having been cleansed by the blood, touched by the blood, honoring of the blood. Hallelujah. We have entrance into the holiest, that holiest that only the high priest used to go. You go. I go. How do we go? By the blood. And, and because we have entrance, we should make entrance often. I think it's sad, but I would say, I would say that the majority of the body of Christ, the blood-washed believers who have entrance, aren't accessing the entrance they have. Not you. Bam, right? If they only knew what we just heard today, they would come boldly. We have boldness to enter. We don't enter with our head hanging down. We don't enter in... If we have done something, please repent so that you can come boldly. Repent, get it covered, get it cleansed, get it dealt with. Just, just go ahead. Don't walk around for two weeks beating yourself up. Let the blood purge your conscience and, and, and turn, go the other way from what you were doing. But enter, 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 enter boldly. We have boldness to enter by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. That's, that's the heart cry of the Father this morning. Yes. 
draw near to me. I made the blood available to cleanse you, to purge your conscience so that you can come to me. I'll help you. I'll, be, I'll stand with you. I'll fight for you. Draw near to me. Draw near to me. Draw near. Because you can. Because you can. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Draw near. We have boldness to enter, so let's draw near. Hallelujah. With every head bowed, I want to give you an opportunity today. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, today is the day of salvation. Many are watching or will watch at another time this message. I want to give also this prayer for those who are watching and need to accept Jesus as Lord. So if you're here today in the building or if you're watching us through the live stream and you would say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross as my lamb. Your blood has been shed to make a new and living way, an entrance for me. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord I believe God raised Jesus from the dead the blood washes me cleansing me of every sin and even the conscience is cleansed by this blood thank you Lord for saving me in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to take this moment right now while you are thinking about the power, the cleansing power, the liberating power, the, the power of access that this blood brings to you. I want you to give yourself a fresh application today. If there is anything in your conscience that even other people may not know it, but when you try to stand in faith, shame comes up. A reminder of your past comes up. That's not God. If you have asked forgiveness, He's forgiven you. That shame is trying to stop your righteousness from working. And it needs the application of the blood. The way we just read it from Hebrews, that the how much more shall the blood of Jesus Christ purge our conscience? So I want you to take your conscience right now and apply the blood to it. Say this, Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over my conscience. I am free 
from the shame of the things I have done. I've repented to you. I've asked you to forgive me. And you are faithful. You have forgiven me. This moment, I will not allow the shame of that thing to stand between us, Lord. I apply the blood of Jesus to free me from shame. And my conscience is a blood-washed conscience. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. Now you have an answer. When you're in a difficulty, a stand of faith, and you're trying to make a prayer of faith, and something comes up to your remembrance, something in your memory pops up, and you start to back off, I want you to remember the blood. If you need to, go take communion. Get the juice, get a cracker, sit down with your Bible before the Lord and say, Lord, that thing that keeps standing up in my mind, telling me that I'm not worthy, telling me that I'm not forgiven about that, telling me that, that that's, that's still something on your, on your record book, Lord, I put it under the blood. I apply the blood to that area. I'm free from that because the blood purges my conscience. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to make the, the verbal authorization of that blood against that thing. You can't just think it. You can't just say, oh, please, blood, in Jesus' name, walk away. You have to say, no, that shame that's standing up against me, I apply the blood to that. I resist that shame. I resist that feeling of unworthiness. I resist that fear of rejection. I resist that. I apply the blood to it. That's why we need the interaction with the blood. If you get a bruise, the blood runs to it on your body. If, if you, you get a cut, the blood runs to it to fix it. When you have issues that come up with your life, the blood needs to run to it. Amen? Glory to God. I believe I've helped us today. Praise God. Thank you, Lord.